The Secret to Solving the Obesity Puzzle. This is Carrie, and I love puzzles. Anybody that knows me knows that I like putting a puzzle together. And I am really good at putting the obesity treatment puzzle together. I want to bring you my knowledge, share with you, dissect each topic, and explain why it's so important for you to understand that each topic plays a very important role with the management of obesity and the treatment for obesity. Let's keep learning and building our masterpiece towards health and wellness. Okay, so let's talk about water and how important it is. Let's talk about all the body systems that it affects down to the cellular level how our body regulates water, how water is related to obesity, and all the current recommendations for drinking water and how much. Literally, water is life. We cannot survive more than two and a half to three days without drinking enough water. So when we are born, we were born with 80% body water. By our first birthday, our percentage of body water drops to about 65%. As we grow older, men's body water proportion is about 60% and women's is about 50%. So literally, half of our body is water. Water performs many essential functions. It helps regulate our temperature. It helps lubricate and cushion our joints. We have those little bursa sacs between our large joints. They're filled with water and they help cushion our joints when we're doing activity. As we age, those cushions get smaller and we develop what's called degenerative joint disease. That's where you have bone on bone because you don't have enough water to fill those sacs between our joints. Water protects our spine and our other organs. Water also helps us get rid of our waste products in our body through urination, through perspiration, meaning sweating it out, or through our bowel movements. It's pretty impressive to think about all of our body systems and how much water percentage those structures need. Our brain itself takes 75% water to function. Our lung tissue, 90%. Our bones, believe it or not, 25% because we have bone marrow, which produces our red and white blood cells. Our blood itself is 85% water. Our skin, the largest organ that we have, is 80% water. Our muscle mass, 75% water. Our heart, 75% water. And believe it or not, our eyes are 95% water. So really, how much water do we need to drink? You know, there's lots of articles, lots of research, lots of promotional products out there to get us to either drink more or debunk the myth that we don't need to drink enough. But there is a lot of current literature supporting the recommendations of how much water to drink. There currently is the NIH published paper from 2016, the CDC document from June 2022, the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey from 2009, 
In addition to multiple medical colleges and universities, the Mayo Clinic, the Cleveland Clinic, Missouri Medical Association, all basically come down to the same recommendations for how much water we should drink. But this all depends on several different factors. So there's what's called a daily water turnover rate, which is determined by the size and shape of our body. Not everyone turns over water at the same rate. So if you have a higher metabolic rate, you're going to need more water. If your body surface area is larger, you're going to need more water. Hence, in obesity, obese patients need to drink more water. Also, we look at free fat mass. This is all of the mass that's calculated in our body minus our fat tissue. So all of this really determines how much water our body needs. We received advice a long time ago from a study that was published in 1945 recommending that we drink 64 ounces of water a day, no matter what our body mass was. This recommendation came from the Food and Nutrition Board and the National Research Council. And since then, we have followed this recommendation and even products such as 64 ounce water bottles have been created to help us visualize and see how much water we need. But with current research, we have debunked that myth that this is not accurate anymore. So that 1945 recommendation really gave us the foundation of eight, eight ounce glasses of water per day. So that's what our nation has been following unless you've been educated with the current evidence-based practice guidelines now that are published. So let's get down to the cellular level. So as I said, water is in every organ of our body, every cell that we have, and we calculate that as total body water, TBW. That therefore can be split into two major categories, extracellular water, water that's outside of the cell, that's in the serum and in the fluid around our cells, or there's intracellular water, that means the water that's actually inside the cell. So there are certain cells that take up more water than others. And in regards to obesity, the adipocyte or the fat cell does not hold as much water as all of our other cells. Those are those free fat mass, cell structures, everything other than fat cells. So that includes brain, bone, muscle, all of that. So all of those other free fat mass cellular structures carry and transport more water than our fat cell does. So really the goal is to have more water in our cell, intracellular water base at a three to two ratio. And when folks come to see me, we put them on our metabolic scale and we could see their ratio of intracellular water, extracellular water, and total body water, which is essential when determining and helping somebody manage their obesity. So some of the health benefits of having more water inside the cell 
is it increases our energy use. It helps with our metabolic rate. It also increases our strength. It's pulling in electrolytes and essential elements to help especially our muscle cells to function more proficiently. And it helps with our immune system. If we have too much extracellular water, it can cause several different health risks, such as inflammation. So as I talked about before, chronic inflammation can lead to several disease processes, and it's a product of cellular dysfunction, meaning that our cells are not transporting the water back and forth across the cell membrane like it should especially our fat cells. Remember, when our fat cells get bigger and bigger, hypertrophy of the fat cell, they stop functioning normally. So that leads to widespread inflammation. Also, extracellular water that is too much will lead to kidney disease, kidney failure. It's a product of our regulatory system is not functioning well. And typically with high levels of extracellular water comes with extra fat mass levels such as the disease of obesity. So our bodies are amazing and this is a very complex system and a system that talks to itself starting from many different organs, our brain, our kidneys, and our cellular structures help regulate our total body water balance. So at the cellular level, the lining of our cells have proteins, and those help transport water and electrolytes back and forth. There's two different types of transportation within the cell and outside of the cell. One is called active transport, meaning that it takes energy to make it happen. The other one is called passive transport, meaning that over diffusion, random movement happens, just equalizing one area to the other area. That way the molecules are equal in that body of fluid or within the cell. So an example of passive cellular transport, you can think of it like having a cup of coffee putting a couple drops of creamer in it and not stirring it and seeing the creamer kind of spread out evenly over time. That is an example of passive transport diffusion by osmosis. It's making one particle equal and diffuse throughout the whole cup of coffee without you having to engage and stir it. So this is how some of our transport happens at the cellular level with our electrolytes and our proteins and our fats. Passive transport also happens with diffusion with oxygen and carbon dioxide. So this is how our body gets rid of carbon dioxide, the low oxygen level product from breathing, and then oxygen. So when we breathe in oxygen, it's gonna try to equalize. So we're gonna take in oxygen, exhale carbon dioxide. At the cellular level, that happens the same way. We have to export carbon dioxide, that's our waste of the cellular waste product that then gets metabolized and processed through our kidneys and our liver, and we excrete them out in our urine, 
our breath, breathing, perspiration, and through our stools and our bowel movements. So let's talk about active transport at the cellular level. This is really where sodium and potassium come into play. So when I look at somebody's food log, I really hone in to sodium and potassium in relationship to how much they have in their intracellular space versus their extracellular space. This really tells me the vitality, the health of the cell, especially the fat cell. That's what we're targeting. And remember, the fat cell, when it gets big, it stops working normally. So this transport is not happening like it should in a normal healthy cell, say your muscle cell or your brain cell. So at the cellular level, we have what's called a sodium-potassium ion pump. These are positive and negative elements that go back and forth, but it needs active transport. It needs what's called ATP. This is energy within the cell that we need to transport those electrolytes to and from across the membrane. And those electrolytes specifically are sodium and potassium. There are other elements and electrolytes that cross in and out of the cell membrane, but our focus today is water. So really getting down to the basics of the sodium and potassium ion pump. Also in the fat cell, the fat cell absorbs and crosses over with more triglycerides and what's called glycerol, which takes up a big part of the fat cell. That's why there's not as much room in the fat cell for water. Here's some other interesting facts about cellular health. Did you know that light affects our cellular health? So if you break it down and look at the basics of a plant, and we all learned in school way back when about photosynthesis. Photosynthesis takes the light into the leaf of the plant. Water is absorbed through the ground, brought up through the roots, brought up to the leaf. And because of photosynthesis, it is split into positive and negative energy. Our bodies do the same thing we split some of this energy into positive and negative energy. And we get that partly from water, which is H2O. It's broken down into positive and negative electrons. We can get energy from sun, believe it or not. So sunshine converts and gives us energy. People feel better. That's where our vitamin D is produced. We have more energy, less depression. But there's other light sources that help provide us with energy. Infrared light, believe it or not, like sitting in a sauna, will release this energy. Directly drinking plant cell energy, like grinding up the greens of a plant, you're getting that plant energy. So when you drink a green smoothie, that's a really good thing. There's some other food products that help provide us with energy. So turmeric is one of them. Coconut water. Believe it or not, coconut water, when you break it down, is the closest thing to our own body serum 
levels and hydration balance as far as electrolytes go so coconut water really is a life-sustaining product if that's all you had if you were stranded on a desert island drink coconut water and lastly believe it or not grounding which is called getting electric energy from the earth walking barefoot on the ground really there's a negative charge from the earth and we absorb that energy through walking and connecting with earth itself so going playing in the park and running in the grass or walking on the beach barefoot is all good things okay lastly to talk about cellular structure and how it works with water not to bore you too much, but there's what's called aquaporins, um, AQPs, which are proteins held on our cellular membrane that help transport water back and forth across its membrane. These aquaporins help transport glycerol, electrolytes, and other products. Now remember, with the fat cell itself, so the fat cell has higher levels of glycerol and triglycerides within the cellular structure. So it has more, literally, more fat and cholesterol inside the cellular structure, not allowing it to have enough water. So there is believed to be 13 essential aquaporins, these protein products that help transport fluid across our cell membranes. They specifically target certain cells within our body to help with this transport. So our kidneys play a huge role in helping us maintain our hydration status. The aquaporins specifically react to sodium levels and help transport sodium across the cell membranes, triggering our kidney system and the hormone regulation, letting us know if we need to hold on to fluid or if we need to release fluid in our urine output. This is a very significant system related to hydration status. It also is very complicated. There's a regulatory center that speaks to the brain to turn this system on and off. So when it comes to talking about cellular hydration status, total body hydration status, we really have to keep in uh, consideration somebody's renal function, what their kidney status is and if it is working properly. If they have compromised kidney function, then we decrease their water intake in order to help preserve and regulate their hydration status. Likewise, if somebody has congestive heart failure, some of those cellular structures and that protein synthesis across the membrane of the cell is not working correctly. Therefore, we get more extracellular water. That's what we don't want. But sometimes in certain disease processes, this happens. And as a result, we get that extracellular water and we see that physically with edema. 
swelling of the legs. You could have total body swelling. You could have fluid overload in your lungs. So that is all a process of dysregulation. These cells are not working correctly. So aqua purines are also very important when it comes to our central nervous system function. Remember, these are the proteins that help transport pot potassium and sodium across the cell membrane. So if they are not functioning correctly, you could have a reduced reduction of intracellular potassium, which leads to several neurologic issues such as increased pain and seizure disorders. That's why when you become dehydrated, you have a headache, you don't feel well, your mood is altered. It's because these very sensitive sodium-potassium channels have been affected by dehydration. So when it comes to the fat cell, it's not functioning correctly, and we're supposed to be able to get glycerol out of the cell to help shrink the fat cell down. But this regulation with the high triglycerides inside the cell, the transport is not happening accurately. So in the fat cell, it leads to increased glucose level within the actual fat cell, which is a result of insulin resistance. And that is why I check fasting insulin levels for my patients who are obese because likely they are holding on and creating this inflammatory process, which is insulin resistance. All right, I know you want me to get to the nitty gritty of how much water to drink, but one more thing. This is such a sensitive regulatory system that we have when we drink or don't drink enough fluids that just 2% water loss can impact our executive function. That means our judgment, our thinking, our thought process, our alertness, our mood. We become less focused just with 2% water loss and mild dehydration. So really, if you were in a high-intensity job or situation, say a fighter pilot that needs to be extremely on top of their game and alert, just a simple 2% water loss or lack of water intake will affect your judgment and your alertness. So if you had an example of needing to drink 100 ounces of water a day, 1% of that is 10 ounces, 2% of that is 20 ounces. And I just said, if you have 2% water loss, not meeting your intake goals for the day, that's only 20 ounces out of your 100 that is going to affect your mood, your focus, and your judgment. It really doesn't take that much to really affect our overall health if we don't get enough water. So our thirst center does not kick in and tell us that we're thirsty until we hit that threshold of 2% dehydration. So already, if you wait until you're thirsty to drink, you're already dehydrated. So that's not a good philosophy to follow. You know, I am always learning, always looking things up because healthcare and evidence-based practice literally changes every day. 
And I love it when I have patients bring articles to me and challenge me and ask me certain things. And sometimes I say, I don't know. I have to go look that up. I haven't heard about that before. (laughs) But I had a patient bring me an article recently from the Washington Post. It was dated December 6, 2022. And it says, why you don't need to drink eight cups of water a day. So I read that article and I kind of teased it apart. And basically at the end of the article, I think the title was very misleading. And they did encourage and report that it depends on body type, body fat mass, free fat mass, activity, etc. So that title of that article was very misleading leading her to challenge me why I was directing her to drink more water. So you have to be careful. You have to look at the author and who's publishing studies, etc., and see what else is out there to really find out what the evidence-based practice is. And the leading leaders of our medical society really directing us in the right direction with true facts and knowledge on how to educate ourselves and help educate those that we care for. Okay, getting to the recommendations of how much water to drink. So there are several sources that are very reputable that I looked up. So there's the National Institutes of Health, there is the CDC, there's the National Health and Nutrition examinational survey that was done and the U.S. National Academics of Science, Engineering, and Medicine all basically published and support the same recommendations and literature for how much water we should drink. So for men, it was recommended that they drink approximately 15.58 ounce cups or 3.7 liters of water per day. That breaks down to about 125 ounces of water per day. Now for women, they recommend 11.5 cups, those are eight ounce cups of water a day, which equates to 2.7 liters per day which equals about 91 ounces per day for an average body type. 20% of our fluid intake comes from our food that we eat. So a lot of times if somebody is deficient with per se their actual water intake, we can account for 20% of the fluid coming from their food and dietary intake. So basically, a rule of thumb is half of your body weight in ounces of water for an average person that does not have kidney or heart disease. Now, there are certain circumstances that I will tweak this, but I won't go into that now. But really, the rule of thumb is half of your body weight in ounces of water per day. So we can get our hydration status from lots of fluid products, right? So there's there's lots of things out there that we could be drinking. So some of the special things that we should take note of is caffeine. 
So we can have one to two cups of caffeine that's not gonna totally alter our hydration status and cause us to pee more than we're taking in. If you are exceeding two cups of coffee or caffeinated drinks, then we have to drink more water to make up for that diuretic effect. Then there's soda, that doesn't count. Even though there's fluid in there, they're very high sugar, and we could potentially count some of the fluid base in that product, but that's really not what we want to drink. And then the big one is alcohol. So alcohol has the biggest diuretic effect on us. So if somebody's drinking one to two glasses of alcoholic beverage a day, that really does impact our hydration status. And when I talk to my patients about alcohol use, I do teach them that they do need to increase their water intake because of this. Okay, so let's break it down to water. There are lots of different kinds of water. There's actually nine different types of water. And let me go through each one and talk about their pros and cons. Okay, so the first one is tap water. If you live in the city, you're getting water out of your faucet. Generally, it is safe to drink. It's purified and they usually chlorinate it. Some cities uh, also provide fluoride in tap water. But tap water is affected by the pipes that it's running through. So sometimes people will have plastic particles or high metal particles in their tap water. The pros of tap water is that it's free and it's generally safe. Then there's mineral water. Mineral water is usually pulled from a mineral spring and it's enriched with minerals such as sulfur, magnesium, or calcium. So some people say that the pros of drinking mineral water is it provides some health benefits, it helps with digestion, and it tastes better than tap water. The cons of mineral water is that it's expensive, and sometimes the minerals are in excess and you don't need those minerals in your certain diet depending on your health needs. And then there's spring water. Spring water is usually tapped in from a glacier or, or a spring that is not filtered at all. It's considered clean and free of toxins, which is the pro, but it is expensive to purchase. It is usually untested, so it can carry some elements uh, that you do not want to drink. And how about sparkling water? I have a lot of people that love sparkling water. Just having the fizz or the bubble gives them a little variety instead of just drinking plain water. Um, sparkling water tends to be mineralized, meaning that when you put it in uh, the machine, and some people have these machines at home to create their own sparkling water and carbonate it, it could have some minerals in it as well. There's really not too many cons associated with sparkling water. It just can be expensive if you don't have your own machine to do it. Okay, let's talk about distilled water because this is one I think people need to be very cautious about. Have you ever heard of those water challenges like on the radio and such? Um, Several years ago, I heard of a water challenge and someone 
not by the advice of the radio announcer, just took it upon themselves to drink a bunch of distilled water. They actually died. They became very hyponotremic, meaning their sodium level dropped to serious life-threatening levels, low levels, caused cardiac arrhythmia. If you're out camping and you need to purify water, you need to boil it to make sure you kill any bacteria and such, but by distilled water process, there is no vitamins, there's no minerals, and it does not provide um, the active transport sodium potassium pump across the cell membrane. So you have to be very cautious. Distilled water will be taken into the cell and literally the cell will explode. So distilled water is not the best water to drink on a daily basis as it could cause very serious health risks and even death. Okay, so there's purified water as well, which is usually tap or groundwater, but things are removed such as harmful bacteria, fungus, or parasites. So, of course, pros that none of that stuff is in there, and it's basically safe to drink. Cons is that there could potentially be harmful substances removed in the purification process. And if you're doing purified water from tap water supply, you're usually removing the fluoride and the chlorine that was put into it to help with tooth decay and purification anyways. So how about flavored or infused water? This is really a big thing. You know, a lot of my patients, myself, I love water, but sometimes you just want to have a little change, a little change, a little something different, something with flavors. So lemon slices, uh, berries in your water, cucumbers, that kind of stuff. Now they have those products, those little flavored drops that are sugar-free that you can put in and make something taste orange or mango flavor, that kind of stuff. Whatever it takes to get you to drink the water and you're not adding a lot of sugar to it, I'm all for it. So if you need some flavor to your water, go for it. Okay, so let's talk about alkaline water. So this kind of um, was a trend in our community for a while, and I think some people still really believe in this. You can buy alkaline water at health food stores, and what this is, is it's water with a higher level pH balance. Um, so they add alkaline minerals to make it alkalinized. <laughs> it's a hard word to say. Um, and they tout many medical benefits from this. But people can actually buy a water purification system, an alkaline, an alkalinizer <laughs> to have at your house uh, to make this water yourself. There really is very little literature and evidence-based research showing that drinking a higher pH water is good for you. So some of the cons with this is because of the higher pH, it could cause reduced stomach acidity and lower the ability to kill off bacteria. It is pretty controversial if you want to consistently drink alkalinized water. 
All right, the last one is well water. I live in a rural area. I have a well, but we have multiple filters on our well and an RO system. Some people have well water that's just raw, untreated water out of the ground. You have to take into consideration the products of the earth that are sifting and filtering into that water product. A lot of people who have wells established actually get their water tested for bacteria, for pH levels, etc. Untreated or unfiltered well water could come with many cons as far as contamination particles, bacteria, or parasites such as Giardia and other things that can make you sick. Recommendation really is if you have a well to get your well water tested and to set up a filter system uh, to make sure that there is no harmful products in that water. So really the bottom line is that cellular health is at the forefront and foundation of hydration status. Then it comes into play total body mass, free fat mass, how much you're exercising, and overall health status. But the general recommendations that I went over are something to follow as guidelines. Of course, everybody is different, and you may need to tweak somebody's personal recommendations or intake just based on their health history, their other disease processes, uh, their free fat mass. Maybe they have a very large muscle mass um, and very lean fat mass, which would alter your recommendations for intake. Water is very important. As we learned today, just 2% dehydration will make us feel ill. So that's why we can't go more than two and a half, three days without water intake before our overall cellular structures start dying and we start having complete organ failure. So water and hydration status is very, very important. I was happy to bring you this information today and I hope that clears things up and some of your understanding about how important water is and really getting down to the cellular structure of how it helps us be healthy. This was yet another piece of the puzzle. So we're putting our puzzle together, our masterpiece towards health and wellness. And hopefully today it helped listening to and learning about how important water is and how essential it is to help us stay healthy. Thank you for listening and more to come.